Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. What's going on, Epiphany fam? This is a content warning. The following sermon series may include potentially triggering information, such as biblical perspectives on sex and sexuality, as well as sexual and emotional trauma. We understand this may cause discomfort. However, we want to make sure that you prioritize your personal health, your mental health, your emotional health, your well-being. And so use discretion when you choose to watch. You may be seated. What a joy, what a joy, what a joy. Let's get to, we're going to start out in Proverbs chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 5 is where we're going to start out. Hey, this morning I felt this. Y'all just jump right in with me. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the rolled away. Come on, y'all. It was there by Irene. And now I, if y'all know it, come on, y'all singing and clap with me. At the cross, at the cross where I, I can hear y'all roll away. Come on, y'all just stand on your feet. Come on. At the cross, at the cross. Listen to me. I, I grew up, you know, my, my mother um, played the piano for almost every Baptist church that we ever attended. 
and my father was uh, was a Baptist minister on on every church that we attended. He was in the military, so we bounced around quite a bit. If you could just turn Matthias down just a little bit in my ear. No, you're fine, Matthias. It's just it's hot. It's hot. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so yeah, so we bounced around every church we, we ended up in my, my mother used to play and so on Saturdays uh, My father would be practicing practicing his sermon and sometimes he would sit us all down me and my brothers And he would sit us down and he would go through his whole sermon and ask us for feedback. I'm, I'm like three or four. I'm like just great, man and um, My mother played the piano so she would practice for and I, I went to I, I didn't you know I went we didn't have like you know, you know, every Sunday was testimony and we didn't have like praise and worship. Just some deacon popped up and started singing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody in the church just tapped right in. And so my mother would, my mother would practice all day. And so she would literally play hymns all day long. And I don't know, it's something about it. I'm grateful for these new songs in, in Jeremiah. I'm grateful for all the, you know, jumping around up here. And I, I love it. I love it. But it's no oil like a hymn oil. It just hits, it hits a little different. All right, and plus I wanted to lighten up the room because we about to we about to get in this text. It's a little heavy. All right, Proverbs chapter five. We are starting a brand new five week sermon series called "Created for Relationships." As you can tell, relationships is in the title, so it is a relationships uh, relationship sermon series. The messy, the tension, and the truth. And we're starting today uh, on the topic of sex and sexuality. We're, we're intentionally starting there because I, I realize when it comes to relationships, a lot of the broken relationships that we have in our life honestly can be tied back to uh, something sexual that broke down and broke relationships. And, and so today we're, we're just going to jump right in and, and just kind of dig right into this, this, uh, this topic. Um, as Gabe said, we did give the disclaimer, but I want to give it one more time. Uh, we will say some things today across the pulpit that, I don't know, might be a little, little risky and, um, and might even be triggering for some of you. I realize that some of you... Um, have had some real sexual trauma in your life. And because of that, um, anything that's mentioned about sex or sexual abuse or uh, molestation, those things can be very, very um, hard to, uh, to process and definitely hard to process emotionally and mentally when you're in a room full of people. And so uh, we just wanted to give you a trigger warning. Those of you who are, who are driving or you're home and maybe the kids are listening, this just might be the one you want to turn down or turn off and watch later. Uh, just because of some of the things. As a pastor, I refuse today, refuse to let the world talk about this and we not. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump in. One of the things I do want to be very clear on though, is I want to be clear, not vulgar. Um, and sometimes I can, I can, <laughs> I can tote that line a little bit. So I want to be, I want to be careful. My heart is not to be vulgar at all today, but my heart is to be very direct and very clear. And plus the terminologies and the words and stuff we use in today, you hear anyway. So um, we might as well hear it in a redeemed setting. All right, let's, let's jump in. In fact, before I, before I read, let me do this. Let me pray for the room. Kind of settle us down and get our hearts right, and then we'll jump in. Father, yeah, we slow the pace down, Lord, because we want you to use us today in a profound way. Would you use my mind? Would you use my, my thoughts? Would you use my mouth in order to communicate the things that are according to your will? Holy Spirit, be present. I pray for somebody today because somebody genuinely needs breakthrough. Somebody genuinely needs a spirit of overcoming. Somebody genuinely needs deliverance. And I, I don't want to judge today. So may we not be in here being judgmental. 
may this not be the sermon where we're looking across the room going, I hope she listening. Lord, I, I pray that we, our hearts would be open, that we would hear what you have to say to us, not our neighbor, not the person we hope is watching, not the person we're going to send the link to later on in the week, but Lord, to us, directly get at us as we talk about this complex topic of sex and sexuality. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I personally, around Tuesday, I felt um, a personal conviction. We're good, Matthias. I felt a personal conviction to, um, to really just be as transparent and vulnerable as possible at the start of the sermon. And the reason I want to do that is because I, I run the risk if I don't. If I start with a, you know, I, I usually like start with a story or I'll start with an illustration of some sort. And if I, if I start there, I run the risk of preaching down to you on the topic of sex and sexuality. And that ain't my hope today. I'm not, I'm not hoping to preach down to you on this topic. Um, I, I actually want to preach with you on this topic. This is something that I believe that majority of the room is struggling with on some level. And personally, I personally have struggled, uh, especially through my teenage years, on a lot of what I'm sharing today. Let me be transparent. First transparent uh, moment is I got introduced to uh, porn and um, masturbation and... Um, I don't know, just perversion of what sex is at a very young age. In fact, I was nine years old when I went into my brother's room and I was looking for something else and I looked up under the bed and I found a stack of magazines and I took one and I took it with me and I hid it and it opened me up. Nine years old, it, ho it opened me up to a world that I did not even know existed. And it was at that moment that I went down a, a honestly, a very lengthy, a very lengthy time of just some real sexual perversion as it relates to porn and as it relates to uh, masturb masturbation. Now, I will say that this is one of the areas that I don't know what the Lord did. I know it was the Holy Spirit, but when I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 28, he did something that completely take took the taste out of my mouth. Now, I know that's not everybody's situation, but I can't explain what happened. The Lord did something, and I genuinely went from uh, honestly be being addicted to being delivered. Now, I know that's not everybody's story, but that, that's your boy got that one. And I'm, I didn't have to take steps to recovery. It wasn't a moment where I had to come down to the altar and, and something happened, spooky. And then I walked back and then, I don't know, man. I gave my life to the Lord and he removed the taste out of my mouth. And so um, that's one area that I, I really am grateful that God did something uh, in my life. I, I remember, let me, I'm going to tell you how deep this thing goes. I remember um, when I was younger, my wife, my mother, um, found the VHS. Now, I know some of y'all don't even know what that is, but it's how we used to watch, you know, watch movies and stuff back in the day. But my mother found the VHS, not in the drawer, not under the bed. She found it in the VCR. And um, my mother came and she, she popped it in and she, she looked at it. And she was like, my father's name is Stanley. She said, Stanley, get in here. What is this? And she thought it was my father's. And he's going, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. And after... After running that down a few times, they both realized that it was one of us in the house. And so they called the whole family together. My mother was like, whose is this? And none of us, none of us would admit to it. And she did the unthinkable. And I'm still traumatized. Talk about trigger. I'm still traumatized over this. She said, well, we all going to watch it to the end. And she hit play. And we all sat there. And she, my father, she went, Stanley, can you believe this? Still traumatized, y'all. I'm still working through that one. I was nine years old when I first got introduced to porn. Second moment of trans 
trans, uh, transparency. I had my first sexual encounter at, at uh, the age of 13. Um, the young lady was 17 and quickly became 18. So you do the math on that. It was illegal um, on the other way. Uh, but um, that was my first sexual encounter, which actually led toward a really, really, really dangerous path of a lot of dysfunction and led towards some really toxic behavior. In fact, um, from that moment on, whenever uh, I was dating throughout my teenage years, um, I was never faithful to one young lady. There was one time where I was dating these two young ladies at the same time, and I was at a basketball game. I don't play basketball. I play football, but I was in the bleachers, and I was at the top. And um, I saw these two girls that I was dating that did not like each other. I saw them talking in the corner, and I was like, uh-oh. This, this is about to be real bad. Now, this is before cell phones, you know, so if somebody would tape this, man, it would have went viral. I'm telling y'all. They came to the edge of them bleachers and lit me up. And they was at the bottom, and I was at the top. And I'm sitting there going, they ain't talking to me. <laughs> and so I ran outside, and they followed me outside. It became this big commotion. You know, it's crazy. Whenever it comes to sexual sins, at least this is my, my experience, sexual sins and lying are like cousins. They usually go hand in hand. You're always trying to cover up and cover up and cover up. And many of you, that's, that's your story right now. Or we're trying to cover up something because we don't want people to know about the sexual sins that we are involved in. Now, if you're sitting there judging me going, well, Pastor B, if that's all your story, why are you preaching today? Let me just, I'm not going to shame anybody. Let me just tell you who's in the room. Because if you understand who's in the room, you'll understand that we're all in the same boat of in need of the gospel, in need of the redemption that Jesus brings, in need of restoration. Let me tell you who is in the room. There's a large portion of this room that has already had sex and you're not married. I know that, right? Like, that's, that's a large portion of the room. There's also a large portion of the room that has not had uh, sexual intercourse, but you've had oral sex and you've justified oral sex saying it's not sex. And it's sex. And it is sin. There's a large portion of this room that is still caught up in porn and masturbation. And I don't mean just the brothers. Because, you know, I, I think the brothers get a bad rep as though they just running through. That amen was a little, little. <laughs> I don't just mean the brothers. There's a lot of young ladies as well that go through a list and, and a whirlwind and a cycle of porn and masturbation. And maybe it's not porn and masturbation, but let's be honest. We, there, there are moments in our life where we pleasure ourselves and do not believe Jada Pickett by saying pleasuring yourself is okay. It is still a sin. There's a good portion of this room that has had an STD before. In fact, let me give you the stats on this. Do you know one in three people that have had sex actually have contracted an STD, and most people don't know that they've contracted an STD? So there's a large portion of this room. Some of you know about the STD that you had, and some of you don't know. There's some people in this room, trigger warning, that have been sexually assaulted. There are some people in this room that have been sexually abused. There are some people in this room some marriages in this room that have had an affair and you may or may not have told your spouse. There are some in this room who have a body count of one, maybe two. And then there's others in here that have double digits, even triple digits. That's in the room. Now, I just want you to sit in that for a second and think about how complicated this topic is. We are all over the spectrum, but for the next 40 minutes, or let's just do 35, for the next 35 minutes, would we not let the culture define what sex and sexuality is? Would we not let social media define it? Would we not let Andrew Tate define it? Would we not let the Breakfast Club define it? But for the next 35 minutes, would we just say, what are, God, what do you got to say about this topic? 
about my sex and sexuality. And here's the thing. There's some moments, I think, in this, you know, in this sermon that, you know, it just might rub culture the wrong way. It, just might, it, might, it might not feel right. But just for 35 minutes, my old boss used to say, love every idea for the first five minutes. Just walk out of here and be like, yo, it's true. I, don't, I wish that didn't say that, but it is true because it is the word of God. So we're going to let the word drive the topic, not culture. Here's what Timothy Keller, Tim Keller would say about this topic. He says, our culture both undervalues and overvalues sex. And if you're in here going, how does the culture undervalue sex? You know, the culture undervalues sex because the culture will get you to believe that sex is just physical. It's just, you know, it's something I, you know, I get on, get off, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. And we think that it's okay because it's just something physical. And we treat sex as though we test drive new cars. Or we treat sex as though we're trying on a new outfit from ASOS and we can just package it back up in that black and white bag and send it back. And then we order the next thing and we put it on and then we package it up and we send it back and then we order the next thing. And then after a while, you don't, you don't even realize why you're so exposed. It's because your soul has been open to so many different things. And so the culture will say, it's just physical. But if sex is just physical, why in the world is sexual abuse that was done to you in high school way more long-lasting in terms of effects than the girls that gossiped on you in high school? The girls that gossiped on you in high school, you ain't even think about them no more. But if you were sexually abused in high school, y'all know we carry that stuff with us. If sex was just physical, why does rape potentially damage us more than if somebody stole our favorite sweater. You can get over the sweater, but if somebody stole your virginity or stole your innocence or stole something that was private from you, we need therapy for the rest of our lives. Why? Because sex is not just physical. If sex was just physical, why does that affair actually damage the relationship more than communication issues. Yeah, we got communication issues, but we can work through that. But if one of us were unfaithful to each other, that trust has been, has been has depleted, and now it's harder and harder for us to get over it. Why? Because sex is not just physical. But here's what the culture will get you to believe. It wants you to be very casual in your sexuality. It wants you to be very casual when it comes to this idea of sex. But sex is not just physical. It is always spiritual. Somebody say it's spiritual. So the moment you think, I ain't got no strings attached, attached, it's just sex, there's always strings attached. There's a spiritual string attached. And many of us have so many attachments to so many people and so many things, you're trying to figure out why in the world you can't move. You can't move and you feel stuck because you are bound up because so many people have connected to you. But here's what I know about the gospel. You can be released today and strings can be cut. Today. Can you just look at your name and just say, sex ain't just physical? Like, talk, talk, like real talk. Can you just look at somebody else and be like, sex is not just physical? There's a spiritual component to it. Watch what, watch what Solomon will say. He's, he's talking to his son and he's warning him. If you look at the inscription above, above the text, it's warning against adultery. That, that's what Proverbs 5 is. And he's talking to his son and Watch the wisdom in which he lays out some things. I'm going to read a few verses. Let me do two real quick and then we'll stop. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street? I don't know if you're picking this up, but 
But Solomon is, is not in this passage trying to give them a, a good way to go to the well, grab some water out of the cistern, and, and quench their thirst. No, he's talking about a, a, a sexual thirst, a sexual appetite that needs to be quenched. And so what he does is he gives us a, a, a euphemism, if you will, for, for, for sexual relations. In verse 15, he starts with the female. How do I know that? Because the word that he uses here is cistern. And this word cistern is directly an image of a female uh, sexuality. You go into a cistern. And you pull water out of the cistern. And so verse 15 is talking about a female sexuality. But verse 16 is talking about a male sexuality. How do I know that? Because he says, should your springs be scattered abroad? like streams of water in the street. In fact, he'll go on to say, let them be for yourself and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with Joyce and the wife of your youth, your youth, a lover, uh, a lovely as a, a lovely deer, a, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated with her love. Uh, some some brothers, this is the first time you've ever written. No, let her breast fill you at all times exclamation point. But, but, but what, what I want us to see that Solomon is doing right now is he's helping us to understand that the way sex is supposed to work, it's supposed to be pleasurable in the context of a marriage with one person forever. Explore the depths of your love and explore the depths of sexuality with one partner forever. He's saying, brothers, it's not just supposed to be scattered in the street. This is what the text is giving us today. Now, in ancient times, this is, this is countercultural, y'all. In ancient times, you did not marry for sex. You married for two reasons. First, economics. You married for economic reasons. You, 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 know, you strategized, you picked another family, and you want to secure that the family had financial, you know, the financial means, and so you got married for economics and financial reasons. The second reason that people got married was because of children. So yes, children are a byproduct of sex, but they didn't get married for sex. They got married for legacy and lineage. And so they got married so that they had something that they could pass on. Rarely in ancient times did you get married specifically to satisfy sexual desires, which is why most people went outside of the home in order to be satisfied sexually, a.k.a. prostitutes. They were not illegal in this time. You could walk down the street in broad daylight and pick a prostitute and you could get it on. And so what Solomon is saying, don't, don't do what the culture is doing right now. Satisfy your sexual desires within the context of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Satisfy your sexual desires there. In fact, in Proverbs 2.17, Solomon says that the companion, that the companion of her youth, and this word companion literally means soulmate in the English. That's countercultural. That I'm just going to be faithful to this one woman, and that one woman is going to be faithful to this one man. Why? Because Solomon understood that sex was not just physical. He's like, no, 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 no. There is so much more to sex. In fact, he gets a little bit more colorful if you go 25 chapters later. Can we do that? Go to Proverbs 30 real quick. Real quick, if you're flipping, if you got your phone, meet me in Proverbs 30, where he gets a little bit more crystal clear with the topic. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, look, look, at, look, at verse, look at verse 18. He says in verse 18, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. Let's pause there for a moment. In Hebrew literature, this is known as a three-fourth poem. 
So he's about to give us a three-fourth poem, which is very common in, uh, in Hebrew literature. And what it literally means, it's a progression leading up to something that is unfathomable. So what he's saying is that he's like, three, there, there are three things that are too wonderful for me. This word wonderful is the same word that's used in Isaiah 6-9 to describe Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful. His name should be called Wonderful. So he's saying these three things are divinely mystical. But the fourth, the fourth, I can't even understand it. Because the, three, the top three, I couldn't understand. The fourth is unfathomable. Well, what, what are the three things that he is saying that he couldn't understand? Look at the rest of the text. Verse 19, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high sea. He's like, there are three things that are too hard for me to understand. The first one is eagles flying. I feel Brian McKnight coming on right now when the eagles. So he's like, the first one is watching an eagle in the sky be able to soar. We don't know how it can do it. How does it take off? And how does it land without hurting itself? We, as you know, as humans, we got to build planes in order to get into the sky. They're like, yo, how does this eagle just be able to be born and get out of the nest and take off and be able to soar in the air? I can't, it's too wonderful for me. He says, but the second is a snake that slithers. A snake doesn't have any legs, but it knows how to get up a rock. You and I got two legs, we got two arms, and it's hard for us. We got to put things in rocks to rock climb because it's hard for us to get up. A snake can slither its way. He's like, that's, I can't even imagine it. How? What was too wonderful for me? And then the last is a ship. In this time, the average ship, ship weighed about 100 tons. How is a ship that weighs 100 tons able to, able to easily glide over the top of a sea. It is too wonderful for me to even understand. He's like, these three things are crazy, but the fourth, the fourth one messes me up. There's something divinely spiritual and mystical about the fourth. Well, what is the fourth? Here's the fourth. And the way of a man with a virgin. He's like, look, I know the snake is messing my mind up right now. I understand the eagle is messing my mind up right now. I understand that the ship gliding on the sea is messing my mind up. But a man having sex with a woman, that is something that is mystical and spiritual. And here's why I say sex isn't just physical, because Solomon is saying there's something divine and spiritual about it. That there's something that is way too mystical about it. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say sex is spiritual. Many of us are guilty of opening up our soul and allowing just anybody in. Many of us are guilty. Some of us don't even know the name of the person that we opened up our soul to. And I'm not shaming you. I'm just, I'm speaking the reality and the truth. Because I know, I know you can't remember everybody. Brothers, I, I know. I, I know you can't remember everybody. There are some of you that forgot. And you forgot that that, that, is how, that is how much sex that you have had. And what you're doing is you're treating it as though it's just physical. In fact, look at the language that he uses here in verse 20. This one messes me up. This is the way of an adulteress. This is the, the opposite here. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Now, you got to understand that verse 20 is actually connected to verse 18 and 19. So he's been talking about sex. Right? He's talking about the way of a, of, of, of a man with a virgin, and then he gets to verse 20, and he talks about the opposite. This is the way of an adulteress. This is counter. Uh, she eats and wipes her mouth, and yo, that's how many of us have treated sex. Where we eat our meal, we wipe our mouth, and we move on. And here's the crazy thing. When you treat sex like that, one thing I know about our diets and our appetites, you'll be hungry again. 
This is why it's supposed to be in the protection of a covenant of a marriage, because in the covenant of a marriage, when you're hungry again, you can eat again. Ah, that's probably not the best use of words. <laughs> but according to the text, when you're hungry, you can, you can eat. And what, what we do is, when you're not married, you're just trying to get your feel. And what, what he's saying, what Solomon is saying is, yo, B, what you're doing is you're eating and wiping your mouth. You're treating sex as the burrito that you ate on Cinco de Mayo, and you wipe your mouth and you walk away from it. And many of us are so guilty of devaluing sex. When you're just, just getting on to get, you know, reach the climax and then roll over and scroll on your phone, when you do that, you are devaluing what sex really is. Because sex is spiritual. Sex is, sex is worship. So I need a married couple to just say amen and back me up. It's, it's worship. And some of us have gotten so really, 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 really perverted when it comes to sex. Let's just be honest. In this room, there are some people that have been to sex houses. You don't even know who the person is. You just blindly, randomly had sex. There are some of you that have had sex through holes in the wall. Y'all don't know nothing about this? Where's a hole in the wall and you stick it, you know, and then a hole and then if something happens on the other side. I'm not making this up. That actually exists. And there are some people that have actually had sex and done things like that. There are some of you that have had random sex in a bar where you don't know the other person. You just met them that one night and you had your one night stand. And many of us have treated sex like animals. Do you realize that Genesis tells me that we were made in the image of God. You are made in the, what's called the imago day. But what we've done is with sexuality, we've treated sex as an animal. You know, my wife and I do this thing on uh, really every night where we, we actually have, we've kind of tailored our evenings to be revolve around this one moment where we actually come together and Y'all gonna think this is deep and spiritual, but it's really not. We just save all the videos that we watch throughout the day and the memes that we watch, and we lay down in the bed and we scroll. We so old, we just scroll and be like, baby, what you got? And we actually be like, we, I mean, we, we actually build our nights around it. We be like, honey, get in the shower so we can get to the videos. <laughs> ain't no movies, ain't no series. Let's get to the videos. And if there is a series we watching, we don't watch the series until we watch the videos. <laughs> well, I, I showed Ty this one video. Um, it just popped up somewhere, and it was a, a video of uh, two turtles mating. And two, these two turtles were mating and had a fish in between them. And it just was so funny to me that I saved it, and I showed Ty. But because I saved it, my algorithm has changed. <laughs> my, my algorithm changed. My algorithm is now animals having sex. And Ty's like, why do you keep saving them? I'm like, baby, it's just keep popping up. <laughs> One of the things I noticed, let me redeem this. One of the things that I notice about how animals mate is animals just get up on top, do their business, and walk away. And many of us that are made in the very image of our God have got on top, did your business, and walked away. And we treat sex like a tune-up for a car. I just need to just change my spark plugs, and I'm good. Just tune me up, pop the hood, tune me up, and I'm, and I'm good. And we, and we, and we want to treat, treat sex as though it's an Advil for a headache where we just like, man, I, I just got a lot of stress that I got to release. 
Well, where's the trust in God? How about going to God to release our stress? He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. But unfortunately, we've went to so many other places like animals, like animals, because we don't realize when we do that, we are devaluing sex. Sex is spiritual. In fact, the first time that God mentioned sex was Genesis 1, 28. And can I say this? It's the first command of the scriptures, not, not the first command on sex. It is the first command of Scripture. And many people say, now nah, the first command on Scripture was when he said, I'm going to give you a command, which was Genesis 2, where I think it's 2.16, where, where he's like, do not eat of this tree. I, he says, I command you, do not eat of this tree, but every other tree you can eat of. And so we think that's the first command. No, no, no. The first command was Genesis 1.28. You know what that is? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he is saying, listen, in the context of a marriage, he's like, Adam, I've created you. Eve, I've created you. Get to work, Playboy. Okay, Playboy, not a good use of word. I'm, I gotta get to work, Adam. Do your thing. And here's, he's like, yo, be fruit. This is not an agri. He's not telling them to, to plant, you know, oranges and peach trees. They don't be fruitful and multiply. They didn't go, go and garden. No, he, he, in fact, he clarifies it in Song of Solomon, where he says, I go into her garden and eat of its fruit. Oh, man. That missed y'all. Because some of y'all are going, you're in the context of marriage. I know what y'all are doing. Like, ah, oh, man, is oral sex a sin in the context of marriage? Well, I just read what Solomon said, go into her garden and eat of her fruit. He says, I want to smell the flowers of her fruit. Like, he's being very specific. Is this too much? Because y'all, y'all getting quiet on me. You know what it is? Y'all grew up in churches that's like, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Don't have sex. And here's the thing. You get married and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? I was told that sex was bad all my life. But I want to reverse it. I want to tell you sex is good. Sex is good. Sex is good. But it's supposed to be protected in the context of marriage. And so I don't want you to get in marriage and be all confused. Like, oh, what am I supposed to do? No, I want you to know from, from this moment, those sexual urges you have, they're not bad. They just need to be checked until I get married. And when you get married, you can send the pics all you want to to your spouse. You can send all the, all the text messages. Don't ever take my phone and just scroll. You don't want to do that. Tell my boys all the time, ah, yeah, I know you know my password, but you don't want to scroll. It's too much. Well, that's how you got here. It's hot. Listen, I had the conversation with them a long time ago. That's how you got here. In the context of marriage, he's like, it's good. Now, Christians should view, should view sex in the context of marriage between, I have to say this, when it, even when it comes to marriage, between one man and one woman, exploring the depths of sexuality with each other should not be a part of your spouse that you don't know. Not a part. The culture views sex as something that I just reach my climax and I roll over and smoke my cigarettes. You ever remember that back in the day they used to do that? Where you see, you know, on TV you see somebody having sex and then, why keep doing that? Where you see somebody having sex and then they roll over and smoke a cigarette? That we've treated sex like that, but that's, that's what the culture sees. Now, the culture has, can, can I just be very clear here? This is probably where it's going to get a little rocky, and then I'm going to land the plane. The culture has perver deeply perverted sex. Deeply perverted. We, we've made sex just the thing that you do, and it's, it's, it's just physical. But also, we're not just going to have sex, but we're going to have orgies, and we're going to do different things, and we're going you know, to watch videos, and we're going to make videos, and we're going to do all of this stuff, and we've perverted sex. In fact, Paul deals with it in two different places. Romans 1, grab that for me real quick. Romans 1, and then 
if you could somewhere get your finger around or, or get ready to scroll to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because these are the two places that he begins to lay out the perversion of sex. And in Romans chapter 1, it's going to get rocky, but in Romans chapter 1, I just want, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read what he says here. Won't you pick me up in verse 22? He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of God for immortal, for immortal God, for, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up to the, here it is, lust of their hearts. Please pay attention to this word, to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for lies and worship and served the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable, watch this word, passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those on the contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the, of themselves the due penalty. Watch this word for their, somebody say error. See, because I, I, know, I know how we do. You'll get silenced, right? You'll get canceled for talking against the LGBTQ community. But you know who you can't cancel, Paul? And what Paul just said was very clear. It's not gray. It's very black and white. You may not like it. I may not like it. But like I said earlier, what if for the next, I think I got another 10 minutes. Can we just believe that God is, knows what he's doing and that he's wise in all things? He just said, when it comes to sexuality, the first thing he talked about was impurities. Now, this word impurity in the Greek is akatharesia. Uh, uh, it, it literally means um, uh, the mind or, or the, the lust of the heart. It is not talking about a sexual sin, like a physical sin at all. It deals with everything in our minds. Remember last week when I was talking to y'all about this, I said many of us think that, that we're getting over because we're not physically doing it, but we're thinking about it. And can I go deeper on that idea? We don't just think about perverted things. We create whole scenarios. Right? We got to imagine him coming to the house. And when he's coming to the house, I have no clothes on. And then he opens the door. <laughs> then he swoops me off my feet. And he carries me on two hands into the bedroom. And we got this whole thing. You know why? Because it's not just enough for us to think about having sex. We got to create the whole thing so that it become, become real. Echotheresia. It is the impurity of our mind. It is the passions of our heart. It's the passions of our, our, our flesh. And I'm telling you, I told you all last week that there's nothing good that dwells in your heart. And those of you who let your mind run rampant like that have to be very careful because you think you're good because you're not doing it. And remember Jesus last week, if you have the lust in your heart, you've already committed the adultery. And so we have to be careful. And this is, to me, again, this is where it becomes real. It becomes real on what's, what do you let roam in your mind? And many of us think we're so good and we're good because we ain't had sex in two years, but we thought about it a hundred times. And it's dangerous. It is akatharesia. It, it, is, it is the impurity of our mind. So he starts there and then he gets on the passion of the flesh, but then he goes in verse 26 and he's very clear on this idea of homosexuality. How does he say that in verse 26? God gave them up to dishonorable passion. Their women exchanged natural relations for those to the contrary of nature. Men likewise, natural relations with women and were consumed for one another. 
uh, men committing shameless acts and receiving in themselves uh, the, the due penalty for their sins. So I just like to be very, very clear. Paul is saying it is a sin. Paul is saying homosexuality is a sin. Now, I know what you're doing. You're going, oh, Pastor Vio, you're doing this a lot. You can't go there, not in this culture. But thank God that culture doesn't drive my convictions. My convictions are driven by the word of God. And so the scriptures, not me, the scriptures just said that homosexuality is a sin. Now, here's where the church needs to repent. The church needs to repent because we've made homosexuality the sin of sins. But if I understand Paul's words of Romans, y'all think he just listed out one sin? Do you know that homosexuality was named in a list of at least 20-something sins? And that's my problem with the church. Because what the church has done is we've called altar calls for homosexuality. And we come in the altar and go, I am delivered. You know what? I've never seen an altar call for gossipers. And gossipers is in the list. I've never seen, a, I've never seen an altar call for liars. Liars is in the list. I've never seen an altar call for greed. Greed is in the list. I've never seen an altar call for pride. Me and my son have been talking about the seven deadly sins. We, I've never seen an altar call for pride. Pride is in the list. I've never seen an altar call for envy and jealousy. Envy is in the list. And so what the church needs to repent of is trying to make this sin greater than every other sin. And let me just be very clear. The sin of boastfulness and pride is the same as homosexuality. I've used this analogy before, so act like you never heard it if, if, you, uh, if you have heard it. It's the peeing in the pool model, where we're all in the pool, and then there's one, like, we're all peeing while we're in the pool, and don't act like you ain't ever pee in the pool. <laughs> Everybody, Mama D, I love you, but you peed in the pool before. Elijah, did you? Elijah peed in the pool before. We all have peed in the pool, right? And let me tell you what happens. We're all sitting in the pool, and we're peeing inside the pool, and then one kid gets outside of the pool, and he begins to pee inside the pool, and we're going, eh, that's so disgusting, that's so nasty, as though we're not all peeing in the pool. And that's how we've treated homosexuality. We've pointed to that, and we've said that is the greatest sin, and there's so many things as it relates to homosexuality that the church needs to repent of. I'm just being, I'm being real. I'm, I was clear. I was very real when I said, he says it's unnatural. It's, sh it's a shameless act. It's an error. I was very clear about that. Let me be also clear that the church has not done well with walking with people that have different sins, especially the sin of homosexuality. And so here's what we need to repent of. Number one, we need to repent of asking them to change their outward appearance while we did not engage their heart. And let me just be very clear and go on record to say this. I could care less about your outward appearance. It's, 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 uh, it's Jesse standing before Samuel and Samuel and God having to say to Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance, but it's, it's God that judges the heart. And so what we've done as a church is we've been like, sis, stop dressing like that and put on a pencil skirt as though a pencil skirt will make her holy. And we've done things like, bro, take off them tight pants and straighten up your wrist as though that makes you holy. And none of that makes you holy. Sis, I could care less what you got on. Bruh, I don't care how you can paint your jeans on. I could care less how tight your jeans are. I genuinely could care less. What I care about is, are you applying the gospel every day to the things that you are struggling with? The first thing we need to repent of is we need to repent of unlovingly asking people to change outward appearance. Not engaging them in their hearts. And remember the list. Now, what if, what if you had to wear 
your outward, uh, on your outward appearance, what if you had to wear the sin that you struggle with? I wish I could give some of y'all a sign and all week you had to walk around and say gossiper. You had to walk around like, or if you, had a, if you had a sign that said liar and you had to walk around with a sign that said liar all week and many of us, we would be embarrassed, we would be shamed, but we do, we, we point to homosexuality and the outward expressions of it and it makes us feel uncomfortable. Who are you? You make me feel uncomfortable. Heterosexual. Now here's the thing. Now here's the thing. That's the second thing we need to repent of. The second thing the church needs to repent of is because we've told those who struggle with homosexuality that the cure for, and I put in air quotes, for homosexuality, the cure for it is to be straight. The cure for homosexuality is to not be heterosexual. And here's why. Because heterosexuals, a whole bunch of y'all got sin. So we'd be like, yo, Sis, stop liking other girls and just like a man. But what happened when she liked the man and started having sex with the man? The same thing. It's sin. It's all sin. And what we've done is, as a church, is we don't know how to engage with people on a real meaningful level. And so instead of engaging with you about your struggles, we would rather tell you to stop liking one sex and like the other as though the identity of heterosexuality will get you into heaven. Listen, it won't get you into heaven. Because heterosexuals have sin as well. The third and final area that we need to repent. We need to repent for saying, pray the gay away. And being dismissive. And not engaging in in understanding the depth of what they're dealing with. Here's what I know as a a man uh, that's straight. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Every day, I got to submit the things that I struggle with under the gospel. And I would say the same thing for everybody in this room. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you just wake up, brush your teeth, put your clothes on, and mosey on out the house. Every day you got to be like, God, I'm about to go into this world, and I know what's in this world, and I know my temptations, and I know the things that would drive me. And so, Lord, I need you to apply your truth of your gospel to my life every single day. And so Paul here, he's very clear. He's like, man, listen, homosexuality is a sin, but there's, there's a bunch of other sins on here. Do you know unloving is, is one, of the, one of the sins? Oh, man, okay, I got to read that one, I see. Verse 21, look at what he says in verse 21. Is it verse 21? 31? Is it 31? Let me just read the list. <laughs> verse, verse, let me start at 29. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, covetousness uh, malice, and they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. These are all, this is the list, y'all. Uh, maliciousness, and they are gossipers and slanderers and haters of God, insolent, hardy, boastful, uh, inventors of evil. That's crazy. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, uh, faithless, heartless. That's what it is. It's the heartless one in the original language. It's unloving. That's what it is. It's unloving. And so that is actually listed amongst a bunch of other sins. Listen, y'all, let's stop playing the game of sin is stronger and better than one sin and higher than one sin just because you're not dealing with it. Okay, I'm going to end here. I'm going to end here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 real quick. I I promise y'all I'm going to get y'all to brunch. It's nice out. All right, verse verse number 9. I'm just going to read this. 
But I'm really not going to focus a lot on the list, more than I want to focus on how he, how he consummates the list. Verse number nine, or do you not know that the, I'm in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual immorality, here's another list, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what I want to focus on, verse 11, and such were some of you, and you were washed, and you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Hear me and hear me well. For those of you who are judging everybody else and you go texting people, going, I hope you're listening because this one for you. No, 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 no. The scripture just said, and such were some of you. You just a few months away from when you used to jump out the window from the one night stand. Just a few months. Can we be honest? You, you only, you're only a few months away from scrolling and looking at things on your phone that you shouldn't have. You're only a few months away. You fell a few times not too long ago. And so we want to judge everybody else. And, and I love Paul because he, he corrects us. He's like, yo, such were some of you. But, 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 you have been washed. You have been sanctified. And you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me and hear me well. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. I, can, I will not judge you. If you want to confess it today and you want to tell somebody else today, nobody should look at you and be like, oh, that's disgusting. No, because all of us are wrestling with something. But here is the fix for all of it. You are washed and redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, sis, hear me. Listen, you ain't got to just open up your soul to everybody. And if you did, you can be forgiven and redeemed today. It's called repentance. There's grace for you. Bruh, I'm talking to the fella that's, that be out there. And right now, you, you, like, you, you setting up this afternoon's flame. I'm talking to you. I pray that God will bust that up today. Yeah. They used to call them blockers back in the day. I'm a, that's what I'm going to be today. I'm going to end with this story. When I, when I was younger... Uh, worship me, y'all get ready. When I was younger, um, I was probably 17 at the time. I used to hang out, all, the, all of my friends were all older. And so they, therefore, by the time I was a junior and senior, they were all out of high school. And they used to sneak me into this club. You had to be 21 and older to get in the club. And they used to sneak me into the club called the Redwood. In fact, I, I text my group of friends. We have a group chat from my childhood friends. And I text them, I was like, yo, man, what's up? What's up with the Redwood? Is, is it still there? And it's like, nah, it was turned to a daycare. And then it was, now, now it's just sitting and, you know, nobody's doing anything with the building. This is in Jersey. And um, they used to sneak me into this club. And there was this one time I went to the club and the atmosphere was right. When I say right, it was a vibe. I walked in, the lights was on. It was, Shabba Race was playing. Mr. Lover, man, Shabba! I was, I was ready. I was in there, you know, the bug. I was, whoa. And I was going back with it. You know, my back was good back then, so I could really, let's do the whole thing. Got me a little drink, because I was, you know, nobody carded you. You already got carded at the door, but, you know, I got a hookup. They had me in. Got me a little drink. And I was dancing, and I caught eye contact with this one young lady. She caught eye contact with me. Now, this has never happened to me before. 
Well, the girl caught eye contact with me and walked up to me. And she started dancing. And I'm dancing with my drink. And I'm boom, you know, I'm, I'm hitting a two-step, boom. And I'm doing my thing. And we end up talking and we end up exchanging information. And then she went back her way and I, you know, went back to my corner and continued to vibe out the rest of the night. And somewhere around two or three in the morning, because we stayed till the club was done. Like, we stayed all night. It was a Thursday night, too. I had school the next morning. We stayed till the club was done. Yeah, we did. We stayed till the club was done because my mother thought I was staying at my boy's house. You know, because I, you know, the VCR thing messed me up. So I was like, if I'm going to do my thing, I got to really be out there. And so I told her I was staying at my boy's house. We stayed, to, we stayed at the club till two or three, and, and they begin to shut the club down. And one of the ways, you know, for those of you who, who don't club, one of the ways they shut it down is they turn all the lights on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they turned the lights on, and the vibe that I thought was so perfect, I saw dirty napkins on the floor. Everybody looked sweaty and dirty. I saw some throw up in the corner from some guy that got sick. And then my eyes gave gazed over to the young lady, and let's just say she didn't look the same with the lights on. Here's my prayer this morning. Close my Bible. My, my prayer this morning was that you would have a lights on experience. Here's what I mean. Here's what I, here's what I mean. My prayer this morning was was that the things sexually that you think are such a vibe, so perfect. My prayer is that God would expose. Because when he turns on the light, you get to see how uh, uh, fragile everything else is around you and how dirty and disgusting it is. And some of us, that's what we need in our life. God, turn the light on. Somebody say, God, turn the light on. Because I want to see the things that I think is a vibe that really ain't a vibe. And here's the thing. Some of you... Some of you genuinely think that you're the only person in life that will be able to live outside of God's law. And some of you that are, see, you'll walk out of here today and be like, that's a nice little message, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna go, still going to do my thing. And you're think, you, you think you're the one that it won't catch up with you. But do you know that Numbers uh, 23 verse 32 will say that sin always catches up with us. It always, and you may get away with it for a while. And listen, it might be pleasurable. And you might be good and, you know, doing your thing. But at some point, it catches up with us. And here's the thing. With, I don't have time to deal with it. But here's the reality. Some of us, the perversion and stuff that we deal with, if it's not checked, it can be passed down. We believe in generational blessings. Some of you ain't passing on legacy. You're passing on perversion. And I, I genuinely, I think that some of, I think most of you in the room, I really think most of you in the room really, really, really want to walk with the Lord. And you need to get this one area under control. And here's the thing, you got the Holy Spirit. If you've trusted in Jesus, self-control, that moment where I was like, I'm done masturbating, I'm done with porn. That moment, you can have that moment because the, the Spirit gives us self-control. Now, the other thing I wanted to say before, I, I really want to do an altar call here, but the other thing I wanted to say was that I understand that many of you think that overcoming and sexual sins is always a deliberate moment. But can we be honest? There are some of you that are going to have to wrestle with sexual sins in your flesh forever. 
you're going to always have to submit those thoughts underneath the gospel. You're going to always have to submit those sexual desires for the same sex under the gospel. Always. But this is what God gives us grace and God gives us mercy. And one day you won't struggle no more. But today you might still struggle. If you're in here and you need a lights on moment because you've been walking in darkness and nobody, nobody knows about it. You do your thing in secret. Don't nobody know. But here's the thing. God knows and he sees. And today I don't think he's here to punish you. He's given you the ability and opportunity to get it right. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, y'all, we all family. Look, I, I, I legit love y'all. No judgment. If you're in here and you're struggling with sexual sins, and I don't mean physical, but maybe even thoughts and uh, sexual sins of your heart, or maybe you can't get over a sexual escapade. Can you do me a favor? Can you just run down to the altar? Can you come down to the altar? I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Come on. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I'm only bold people. I, I, I ain't talking to people that's like, oh man, they're going to know. Who cares? God knows. God knows. Today, I think he wants to do a work in your life. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Can y'all just for a second, can we, can we put off the church stuff, y'all? Can, can we put off the church face and trying to act like we got it all together? Look, we all a hot mess. God wants to do something today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I pray for everybody that came to this altar, these young ladies, these young men that are confessing and professing today that there are some areas of our life that are still unredeemed and it may be something that we haven't told anybody about or something that, that, that we've, been, we've been involved in and we've normalized uh, this thing uh, called a perversion of sex and we've made it so casual and maybe we're not having physical sex but there's somebody on this altar that is dealing with masturbation and there is somebody on this altar that is dealing with uh, a same-sex attraction. There is somebody on this altar that can't stop sleeping with their girlfriend. There is somebody on this altar that has been dibbling and dabbling in all types of perversions and today you give us the ability to get it right. So Lord, I pray for redemption. I don't, this is real, Lord. These are lives. These are souls. And these are stories. And Lord, most of them, I don't know everybody, but most of them on this altar have professed faith in you. And so Holy Spirit, guide us. Holy Spirit, wash us. Holy Spirit, heal us. Holy Spirit, deliver us. Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide in our lives. I pray 1 Corinthians 6, 11 over everybody that's on this altar, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Lord, let us not just come to the altar for us, but after we've been washed and redeemed as your text tells us may we become living testimonies that we can help others that are struggling in the same things Lord I genuinely believe thank you for your grace by the way let me say that again I thank you for your grace because the moment we fell you could have you could have took us out of here but you've given us another day 
May 7th to get it right. That's grace. And so, Lord, I pray, oh God, as we walk back to our seats in boldness and confidence, knowing that you are with us, not in ignorance, thinking that we won't struggle. We will walk back and still struggle. But Lord, today we are making a new commitment that we are going to take that struggle and submit it to you. Because you're really the only one that can handle it and do something with it. We love you and we praise you. And I believe that the testimonies from this altar will re reverberate around our lives. Pray for our children. Pray for our children's children, that they will walk in holiness, that they would walk in purity. But I'm not, I'm not making this up, that they will walk in purity. That they will be prophets and they will be queens and kings. They will be royalty and sanctified and godly. And Lord, do something in their lives so that we struggle not in vain, but we struggle so that we can invest something to our children and then they can invest something to their children. We thank you, oh God, for the work that you're doing on this altar, for these young ladies and these young men. If we confess you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all righteousness, purify us today in the mighty and matchless name of your son, Jesus, our King. Amen.